Our regular Thursday parenting segment is called It Takes a Village and our guest now wants no one to raise a child alone. Neuroscience educator Deb Rewiri says it's never been so important for Fano to get on board with traditional Māori parenting practices to acknowledge the role of auntie and for people to wake up to their DNA. To explain more and how help is available through an initiative called Takai which embraces Matrongi Māori and the Indigenous parenting approaches. Deb is with us from Russell in the winterless north. Tēnākwe, kia ora. thank you so much for the kōrero today. Kia ora Catherine. Um, uh, I would like to say it is winterless but we've had a spot of rain which is always good for the tanks. It's true, <laughs> it's still beautiful. Could you speak a little more about your mahi and uh, both as a neuroscience educator but also when it comes to parenting practice, what it is that you are really wanting to revive and to support? Okay, so um, tākai is a concept of uh, wrapping around and within that context, I think, For me, learning about the neuroscience, what I began to do was some research and some reading into our historical parenting practices. And I'd like to read you something that um, Samuel Marsden wrote down in his journal in 1814. I saw no quarrelling while I was there. They are kind to their women and children. I never observed either with a mark of violence upon them, nor did I ever see a child struck. So suddenly that opened up a doorway of um, interest or intrigue for me about, gee, actually, we've always heard the deficit side of being Māori. What what actually were the positive things that um, helped us to grow and develop into how we were? And so I, you know, the understanding of um, clans, hapu, whānau settings, which is optimal for the brain and the brain connections, what I began to see was prior to industrialization, actually, this is pretty much how we lived. We lived in village settings. And, um, you know, so taking that information forward into a modern day context, weaving in that neuroscience information, you know, about the first 1000 days, and to make sense of it, what we what I had to do was actually begin to start contextualising it within that space of parenting in a broader way with the whānau. So, you know, knowing that wahine Māori actually had a, had a key stake within this whole process of uplifting the whānau and, and we know in this modern day context, you know, in my own whānau, I'm known as the grumpy auntie. But um, I remember my um, son saying to me one day, oh, mum, it's none of your business. And I said, actually, son, you'll be my business until the day I die. You may not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to speak it anyway. And so we know that on the marae, you know, that the aunties speak truth into what is needs to happen. And I think in... Um, in this modern day, this is what we need more of. Some people see it as interference, but actually I see it as hapai hooke as building up um, the potential within that whānau. It's really fascinating some of the work you've done going back to first contact and some of the writings from that time. There was another missionary named Richard Taylor, right, who referred yeah. to the men's nursing of, of children, care of, of, of tamariki. 
I know, and and he said it's one of the finest traits in all that he'd ever seen. He remember they'd come from an environment where women were legitimately owned, and so were children, and so they they began to you know how do you assess another culture? You study it through your own lens of the culture you've come from, and so they began to you know people like Edward Shortland, you know observing how. Um, parents um, never seem to chastise their children and if they were to do so that an uncle could step in and say well actually this is not okay and they'd hold them accountable so this village concept was operating you know before we had assimilation and um, colonization of our practices and our beliefs the po that held these up it's but another it's like how do you pardon? No, no, carry on, sorry. You know, but how do you take these practices? Because when I've shared this information, especially in prison settings, you know, some of the whana have said to me, Oh, why that was two hundred years ago. What does it matter now? And you know, I quote Amsteridi who says, It doesn't matter how far back you go, it's how far forward you can take it. It's also that deficit messaging that you referred to. Can it imprint itself on parents and particularly on young parents? Is this why it is important to go back and um, link back to whakapapa and link back to kaupapa because the deficit messaging can actually have a negative impact? Oh, definitely. And it's like, you know, working with whānau at the here and now is sort of like, Somehow you've managed to um, survive. Like, how do we build relationship where we um, lean into and amplify a kopapa Māori context? How do we, you know, get alongside of them and and show empathy and understanding and and clarify some of those key messages? You know, what are the things that we need to build capacity and how do we do that? And and these are sort of, you know, the Māori models of practice around, you know, um, using kawa, using mātauranga Māori, that is premised off um, tikanga. You know, why whakatauki were important. Um, the marae, the identity of being Māori, where the identity of being Māori is the norm. And te reo expresses wairua, you know, through thoughts, through tikanga, beliefs, values of life, love and living. And and this is the kaupapa we take around. Of course, it, it is, again, it's premised off um, neuroscience. So when I say things like, wake up your DNA, because your whakapapa, our people were practising these processes before Pākehā came here, you know, up here in, in the Bay of Islands, our people have been here for over a thousand years. We had to wait. Um, we we know this through whakapapa, but, you know, it wasn't until an archaeologist um, did some carbon dating on a taonga that was um, found out at one of the islands, and they said, oh, well, actually, we want to let you know that you've been here for eight, over 850 years. This is how far this, you know, we've carbon dated this. And we say, thank you very much. We've already known that. What? And so it's like, how do you blend the two yeah. in a way that uplifts? 
One last observation before we come to just that, because I think this is important because the deficit messaging can be so imprinted um, and that becomes powerful in itself. There was an anthropologist you referred to called Prescott and he'd studied indigenous cultures and he found that those that carried their babies for most of their babyhood had lower levels of violence within that culture and I think that Māori were um, absolutely high on that list. Now, this is where, again, the practice comes neatly to what we now know about those, um, you know, with, with the neuroscience and with the studies and with the research done about those precious first thousand days, but also about things uh, like bonding and, and attachment, calming nervous systems. To be able to put it in the context of one's own traditional um, practices and tikanga, again, is a powerful message to communicate to parents, isn't it? And particularly to young parents. Oh, definitely. And and part of that is to get them to the audience to remember and, and write, a, you know, a few sentences about what is some of the things that they, a positive experience that they had within their whānau system. It's quite easy, and Bruce Perry is a neuropsychiatrist. He often says this. It's really easy for us to get to that deficit. We, you know, the negative impacts will be highlighted in our brain because it's part of our survival system. However, the moment you say, I want you to recall a positive experience within your whānau system, and it might be that they you know, auntie made a rice pudding and they sat down to eat it at the marae or mixing with their cousins at the marae and how key that was. What you're beginning to do is um, what I call hapai hoki or scaffolding around that memory system to actually begin to start building that capacity of understanding that these things were all already in place. Now, um, you know, where the hurt has happened and, and what we do have is um, a few of the whanaus with uh, trauma and we know how trauma impacts the developing brain and certainly um, long-term trauma, but also looking at that in a way where we can begin to unpack. If we just stay in trauma, that's actually what's going to be highlighted but actually, if we can sort of swivel it and again amplify the positive messages about being Māori, then in some ways what we're doing is repairing or healing some of that hurt, that mamai that happened. And we can only do that within the context of a Matauranga Māori um, construct. So... What does Takai do and how when it comes to connecting and to um, you know, bringing this mahi and bringing this kaupapa to, to people? Where, where and how does it work? So Takai is, is, comes out of, um, people may have heard of SKIP, Strategies with Kids, Information for Parents, and this is the evolution of SKIP. And so Takai... The literal meaning is to wrap around. And so it has come out of Oranga Tamariki, of families and communities. And basically, it's a kaupapa. So you can get onto the website 
and I'm sure you'll post that up um, after I've finished with my kōrero. And what the what we want to do is actually get these villages that are working in capacity. So for me living here, you know, I have a connection to Nati Manu out at Karitu. And, and there is a village concept there where whānau take their tamariki out of kura and what they're doing is teaching them skills to actually help build their capacity in terms of food gathering, food storage, what we call food sovereignty. Now, does that mean that they don't get um, educated? Of course they are getting educated. Um, but in a different way, in a different context. In Auckland, there is a whānau there that decided about six or eight years ago before um, land prices went through the roof that they knew that they couldn't buy land separately. So what they decided to do was buy a block of land together. And within that block of land, what they're doing is building houses and so that they can continue to have that um, village concept, but within a in a city context. And so all the children will be living on that, but more importantly, the mokapuna will be growing up within that village concept. In Kaikohe, I have a dear friend who uh, models that continuity of care so I often talk about apples and trees, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and the modelling that they get. And so she has 40 mukapuna, but they're in each other's lives. They may live in separate dwellings, but the way that they live is that they gather together. And of course, extended whānau are doing this in a myriad of ways, but it's that practice of these village concepts that are have, happening in a modern day context. What is the difference? And the difference is all of these whānau are educated both in a Māori context and a modern-day context. And so what they have an understanding of, how important attachment the neuroscience is actually feeding into their own understanding of, of how they are as whānau. But what's more important or uppermost for them is that they can be fully Māori and, and bring those belief systems forward in a way that actually helps to have a growth potential within their own whānau systems. There's this lovely concept of the wairua of, uh, of an infant, of a newborn being you know, perfectly in place. And, and could you speak a little bit more to that? Because that comes down to the cherishing uh, okay. that is so important yeah. in the giving that accompanies that cherishing. So I often do a comparison between Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and what we need. And I say the foundation for us as Māori was that the baby already had wairua intact. And so all we had to do was nurture them. And if you're nurturing, you know, a special being, and all our mokopuna are taonga, so they're all special. And so if you're nurturing them, what all you have to do is create the environment from which they can grow their own potential. So our tūpuna believed 
that to do that, you didn't use harsh voices, that you were um, gen- generous and um, loving towards them. And this is what, you know, why people like Samuel Marsden and John Savage and um, people like that, you know, observed and, and knew there was something different about the way that they treated our babies, it was all about protection of whakapapa, protection of whenua. Of course, you know, for Māori, whakapapa is is the baseline foundation. And to protect your whakapapa, you need to treat it well, because if you're not protecting whakapapa, then basically you're um, destroying it. And so to protect your babies, you know, and to protect your wahine was really paramount in terms of growing that whakapapa into its fullest potential. The neuroscience itself, let's bring this back to what, um, sort of square the circle to to the work that you're doing, because what are Mm -hmm. those really important fundamentals we know for all um, infants? First, the bonding and the attachment, as we said, but then second, just what's mm-hmm. happening in that amazing brain born with all those millions and millions and millions of neurons, that so many that they have to start casting them off. So come back to the importance of that really early period and then how this um, mahi that you are doing is marrying both the, the, the practice, the traditional practice, and the, um, the scientific knowledge we have now. Mm. Well, we talk about, you know, the multifactorial and and the brain as an organ is very complex. And so the understanding of that, you know, love becomes flesh. Like, so what we're doing is putting flesh on the bones. And through this understanding, you know, when we talk about um, the neural pathways, like that actually remaining calm, you know, um, parents um you know often say that there are no perfect parents they don't exist we will make mistakes but actually if we're getting it um right most of the time what we're doing is building that capacity for resilience and people say well you know what does resilience mean and um basically i say to them what do you think it means in terms of how you love your baby, how you respond to your baby, how you're um, building, you know, these experiences for them. Because along along the way, what we want them to understand is that there's some experiences that are expected, you know, so that the, the light um, hitting the retina of the eye will actually help open up that visual um, pathways in the brain but some of it is experience dependent so and it will vary from each individual so the baby learns to adapt to the environment whether it's loving or not whether it's a war zone or peaceful the baby learns to adapt to that environment so when we talk about attachment when we talk about um you know, what attachment grows within the developing brain, how to, what does delay gratification mean? 
And when you show people uh, a video where an 18-month-old has learned that actually you do karakia first before you have kai, even though they really, really want to eat that food, they know that there's a process in play. And so when you say, actually, that's about building impulse control. That's about delaying gratification. And we know through um, through Richie Poulton's longitudinal research that he's saying that one of, those are one of the key markers of a successful um, um, process that we can, again, build upon. So we're scaffolding, we're getting um, parents to understand that at the early stages, you know, that talking and singing audiori, you know, telling... Singing audio is about um, singing to the babies, you know, the the mountains and the rivers and the seas that they belong to. And it's like giving, building that caring capacity within those neural pathways at an early stage of development so that our babies begin to understand actually to tie out the environment is our tupuna. You know, they're the things... Um, they can't be something like, um, I think, therefore I am. For Māori, it's, I belong, therefore I have responsibility. Kia ora, Deb. There's a question, but I want you to come back and address it in another session. Would you mind? I'll tell you what it is. Um, sure. In terms of talking of these beautiful practices with whānau who are struggling, like you said, in prison or living mm-hmm. in deep, hard poverty, how do you give the hope to those whānau who are down and out to take up and learn of these practices? Big part I know, big question I know. Any suggestions or whakaro would be great. Could you ponder that and could we discuss it uh, in another session in the future? Sure, Deb? sure. Nyamihi. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks very much.